While you're standing, turn around and grab your Bibles and let's turn to Matthew chapter number 24 this morning. Matthew chapter 24 and uh, verses 4 and 5. And uh, we'll be looking at a sermon involving prophecy this morning. Uh, A little bit of prophecy, a whole lot of practicality. If you've attended White Oak Baptist over the last seven years, you know that I don't preach a lot on prophecy uh, I, I like to stick to the practical, but prophecy is in the Bible. There's no avoiding. It is part of Scripture. And so we're going to address some of that this morning and then get into the practical day-to-day of where we're living. Look at, with me at Matthew chapter 24. Those that know their Bible well know that Matthew 24 and 25 uh, are chapters of Jesus speaking on end-time events as it pertains to how the world will be when uh, it comes to and end. And so uh, there's much here in these two chapters. Most of our attention will be in Matthew 24 this morning, and then we'll also be over in the book of First John toward the end of the sermon. Look with me at verse number 4. The Bible says, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ. Now, uh, we're looking at the commands of Christ. That's our theme this year. We're on a series of commands entitled, Cautions. Cautions Jesus gives us, and this is a big caution. This is a big warning sign. Imagine you have somebody standing there where the bridge is out, and it's pouring rain, and visibility is limited, and they're holding up a sign that says, Bridge out. They're standing there to warn you, to caution you of peril that's come. The sermon I'm going to preach this morning, somebody in this room, somebody watching online, somebody this morning is going to avoid a whole lot of heartache and hurt from doctrinal winds that could move you astray if you'll listen in this morning. There are many deceivers out there that want to take the Bible and lead you astray. The title of the sermon this morning is this, Let No Man Deceive You. The command of Christ, Let No Man deceive you. Let's pray this morning. Thank you, uh, Lord God, for the Bible. Thank you that it meets us each and every step of the way, no matter what we face in life, no matter what struggles we have. We have the Bible, uh, Lord God, to answer those questions and help us through those hard times. Lord God, there's much deception on every side. And so as we face this deception uh, uh, that's in the world around us, the spiritual war that takes place around us, Help us to understand truth and to see truth, and Lord, to walk in truth and be guided by it. Give me wisdom as I preach today, Lord. Help me to uh, address those things that, Lord God, are most needed in the crowd. But Lord, if I preach with your power and they do not listen with power, then Lord God, uh, that person will miss out on a blessing. And so move on this side of the pulpit as I preach, but move on that side of the pulpit as, Lord, the people listen. And Lord God, may we all leave here with a better understanding of your word and then, Lord, practical understanding on how to live it. Lord God, be with those that are not here this morning, either due to sickness or discouragement or maybe even deception. Lord God, guide them and help them through their time of struggle. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, have you ever been deceived? Have you ever had someone uh, uh, lead you down the wrong path? Don't raise your hand, but I wonder how many of you have ever bought timeshare. 
That's just total deception, right? You're buying it as something that isn't even real, that you can't tangibly put your hands on it. And clearly, a lot of people do that. There are a whole lot of deception out there. Now, being that I am a uh, millennial, I'm barely a millennial, just by a year or two. But being that I'm a millennial, I enjoy YouTube. Any YouTube enjoyers here? People enjoy you. A bunch of people lying in this room right now. whole bunch of you watch YouTube in here. One of the channels that uh, is on YouTube involves a guy who finds people who are looking to scam and they expose people who scam. And scamming over in Africa and India, the Middle East, that region of the world, a scamming is a multi, multi million dollar, if not a billion dollar industry. And it will work something like this, okay? You need to change your airline ticket, uh, whether it's a destination or a date. And so you go into Google and you look up, uh, let's see, change uh, ticket uh, uh, Southwest Airlines. And a number pops up and you call the number, except you're not calling Southwest Airlines. You're calling a scam center over in the Middle East and they walk you through the steps to change your ticket and then they have you submit payment, except your ticket never gets changed and they pocket your money. And uh, this is done all the time. In fact, um, there are all kinds of accounts of people uh, being uh, raked out of 20, 30, 40, sometimes even hundreds of thousands of dollars. And they don't care that this is your money you're using to pay for your cancer or money that you're just scraping by on. In fact, uh, I have seen scammers who uh, will uh, develop a relationship with a woman online and uh, treat her as though he is, she is his sweetheart. And they fall in love having never seen each other and having uh, never talked, even talked with each other. But they fall in love and the next thing you know, this woman in her 50s, 60s, 70s is funneling uh, money, uh, embezzled money over to the other side of the globe as a favor for someone based on a total lie. Deceptions are everywhere. Uh, they're all around us. And uh, the older you get, the better you get at spotting a lie. I've talked about when I first got married, Angela called me on my way home from work, first couple of months married, and she said, I just got a call and we won a free Disney cruise. How many of you have gotten that call before? And you know what? When you're 23, it sounds believable and it's exciting. But now when we get those calls, we just hang up because we... We, we know better. We've learned better. How many of you have learned that if it's too good to be true, it's, it's too good to be true, right? You guys awake this morning? If it's too good to be true, it's too good to be true. And uh, you learn. But the reality is that it's a game of cat and mouse. And the better you get at spotting deception, the better someone gets at being deceptive. And there are master manipulators who, no matter how good you are, they can still play you if you're not... Careful. Um, there are two approaches that people take uh, to deception. The first one is uh, the gullible. I'll call it the gullible approach. How many of you know that gullible was written on the ceiling of our church earlier this week? Uh, some of you looked up. You're gullible. Amen. Um, the gullible, I got gotcha. you. The gullible approach is that you assume people's goodwill. You just assume people are goodwilled. And as a result, uh, your guard is down. And uh, you believe the best in everybody. And as a result, people who are very polished can come along and they can manipulate you and they can take advantage of you. 
The other pendulum swing approach is to assume that everyone's out to get you. All right? And so you go through life highly skeptical, and you go through life with your guard up, and you go through life stiff-arming people, and you know what happens is that goodwill people, goodwill to people get offended because you're so, uh, uh, you're, you're so defensive all the time, and you won't ever let anybody in close. And you say, well, which one of those is appropriate? I think for most of us in here, we probably try to strike a middle-of-the-road path where we put on a front like we believe they're goodwilled, but deep down inside we're micro-analyzing motives and micro-analyzing behavior to try to figure out if they're a good actor or a bad actor. But the reality is all of us are susceptible to deception. All of us are susceptible to deception. Um, the best magicians, the best magicians make their millions based on sleight of hand. You see one thing and your brain tells you you're seeing one thing, but something totally different in reality is happening and we're awed by that. Uh, it's deception. It's sleight of hand. Now, uh, you may be sitting here this morning thinking to yourself, well, I am not one to be easily deceived. And I just want to remind you that in John 10, Jesus called you a sheep. A sheep. Isaiah 53 says this, All we, all means all, and that's all, all means. All we like sheep are gone astray. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. Uh, uh, let me just tell you this about sheep this morning. You, uh, sheep are simple-minded. Simple-minded. You say, oh, I'm not simple-minded. Well, compared to God, you are very simple-minded. Very simple-minded. Um, these terms are relative. Simple-minded. God is omniscient. What does that mean? It means He knows everything. You know what that means? You don't. You don't. And compared to God... Look, I'm, I'm preaching right now to someone in here who's extremely arrogant. You're sitting here thinking, I don't need this sermon. No one's going to deceive me. Why am I even in here right now? You're exactly the one that's a candidate to be deceived. Probably you have been deceived. The moment that you think you can't fall into a sin, you're probably going to fall in that sin. The moment that you think you can't be deceived, you're overconfident in your own abilities. You are wide open to deception. I just want to remind us all here that Adam was God's pinnacle of creation and Adam got deceived. Do you think that you're greater than Adam? And if Satan can get Adam, Satan surely can get you. Sheep are simple-minded. They, uh, they are, here's another term, sheep are ignorant. Now, I'm a 90s baby. I'm a 90s, I was born in the 80s. But I grew up in the 90s. You know, that's the first decade I really uh, remember. And um, uh, we would throw that term ignorant around as some kind of a slight, right? Uh, we would say to each other, you're ignorant. How many know what I'm talking about this morning? You're ignorant, okay? And that was, a, I mean, you were dissing someone hard if you said, said that they're ignorant. But you know what the word ignorant actually means? It means that you just don't know something. And you know what? The older I get, you know, the more I realize there's a lot of things I don't know. There's a lot of things I don't know. The older I get, the dumber I the more ignorant I realize I am. Do you know what we all are? We're ignorant sheep. We're simple-minded sheep. Sheep can be manipulated. 
you bring in sheepdog. You can, uh, you can use a sheepdog and you can uh, corral a large number of sheep and move them in a direction that they're not supposed to go out of fear. And many of us are driven and manipulated by fear. Sheep can easily be deceived. Sheep can easily be deceived. Now, how do we know that so many are being deceived today? Back in Matthew 24, the Bible said in verse 4, Jesus said there would be much deception in the world. How do we know that many are being deceived today? Well, there are places. These are uh, 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 look at listen. Look at the largest churches around the world today. What do you see? You see places where God's word is not preached. At least, not all of it is preached. Write this down. All right. When it comes to unsavory passages, there are three approaches pastors take, preachers take with unsavory passages. Here they are. Number one. They can declare the truth. They can declare the truth. This is a pastor who does not care how offensive it is to the culture, does not care whether or not it's politically correct. If it's in the Bible, he's just going to say it. And you know what? You can live with it or you, you can love it or you can hate it. He's just going to declare the truth. All right. Here's the second way pastors or preachers handle unsavory passages. They deny the truth. They deny the truth. They move with the culture. They make the Bible fit the culture instead of expecting the culture to meet the Bible. Okay? And they deny the truth. Here's a third, uh, and I think this is the most popular. They dodge the truth. They dodge the truth. When you're considering a church to attend or to be a member of, one of the things you need to listen for is not just what they say. You need to listen for what they won't say. Because a lot of churches will avoid things that are controversial to the culture. Um, there are independent Baptist churches that are very large in number. I mean, they're running a couple thousand. And their pastors just flat out won't preach on some things that are found right in the pages of the Bible. Now, if you got them on the side and you talk to them one-on-one, they agree what the Bible says, but they're not going to preach it. Because if they preached it, they're going to push people away. Now, let me be clear here. I am for large churches. I hope one day we are a large church. And say, well, we already are a large church. I, and I shared this on uh, the first Sunday evening of the year, my vision sermon. We are not a large church. We're not. Uh, our church's uh, impact might be 400 people or 450 people. Did you know that within a 25-minute drive of the, of the parking lot of our church, there are 450,000 people? That means we're reaching one-tenth of one percent of our community with the gospel. We are not a large church. Not compared to the size of the community around us, we've got a lot of work to do. And you know what? I don't want White Oak Baptist Church to be a big church so that Pastor Lejeune can have a big name and go on speaking tours and uh, live in uh, some uh, gigantic house and drive some uh, uh, high-end luxury car and, and, and fly in a private plane and, and wear $3,000 suits. No, no, no. That's not at all my desire, uh, uh, my heart for building our church big and, 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 and having a large church is because even 
unsaved person walking around out there without Jesus, they need somebody to tell them Jesus. And they need somebody to help them grow. And I believe the Gospel is powerful enough to reach every one of them. But we're not going to grow just for what we won't say. We're going to grow for what we will say. You with me this morning? We're not going to dodge the truth. Let me give you an example of some unsavory topics that a lot of preachers just flat out avoid. And by the way, if you have some favorite preacher on YouTube and he won't touch on these topics, you need to ask them off. Here we go. Uh, they won't preach that premarital sex is a sin. They won't touch it. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. He that committed fornication sinneth against his own body. Every sin that is done is without the body, but he that committed fornication sinneth against his own body. Flee fornication. 1 Corinthians is still in the Bible. Hebrews is still in the Bible. And you know what? It may not be popular in the culture, but sex is meant to be between one man and one woman. I said one man and one woman within the confines of marriage, not before marriage, not outside of marriage, within marriage and only within marriage. And you know what? If that keeps us from growing, then that's going to keep us from growing. But the Bible says that. We're not going to dodge the truth. Uh, here's another topic that has become highly unpopular to touch in the pulpits of our culture today. Gay and lesbian lifestyles are an abomination of the Lord. Now, I'm not preaching against people who are gay or lesbian. I'm preaching against the act. But that lifestyle is an abomination of the Lord. Remember, God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah over this. Remember, the Bible calls it unnatural affection and turns these people over to a reprobate mind. And again, there's a lot of pastors who agree with that in their office, agree with that in private, but they won't touch it in the pulpit. Here's another one. Evolution is a lie promoted by the devil. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the morning, in the, in the evening and the morning was the first day. And the evening and the morning was the second day. And the evening and the morning was the Third day. By the way, the first three days of creation, God created the spaces. The next three days of creation, God filled the spaces. Uh, the evening and the morning were the fourth day, and the fifth day, and the sixth day. And on the seventh day, God did what? He rested. You know what? Call me old-fashioned and call me simple-minded. That's fine. I happen to believe that God created the heavens and the earth in seven literal 24-hour days. By the way, here's a neat little nugget for you. What comes first, sin or death? And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth sin brings death. To believe evolution, you believe that death comes before sin and not that sin comes before death. God's a God of order. Ever since evolution was injected into our public school system, teenage suicides rates have skyrocketed. Teenage pregnancy rates have skyrocketed. Uh, teenage uh, uh, crime has skyrocketed because when you tell kids that they come from a monkey, they start acting like monkeys. But when you tell kids that God made them and they're going to have to give an account to Him one day, all of a sudden there's a different, end, different approach in the way they live their life. I could keep on going, but I think you get the idea. Now, 
You've heard the phrase. Now, speak to me, church. You guys are quiet today, all right? So wake up a little bit, all right? You've heard the phrase that a half-truth is a... The half-truth is a whole lie, all right? Let's try that again. You, you didn't have my mama, so you didn't know that, all right? Here we go. A half-truth is a... A whole lie. So, if a preacher is only willing to tell you half of the truth and dodges the rest of the truth, he is deceiving you and he is lying to you. Listen to what 2 Timothy 4.3 says. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heed to themselves teachers. Notice that word teachers. Teachers having itching ears. Now, the Bible does not call them preachers. He calls them teachers. You know why? Because these guys don't preach. You tune in almost any megachurch in America, and you know what? They don't have a pulpit in their auditorium. They sit on a bar stool. They wear a Hawaiian shirt and a pair of cargo shorts and a pair of sandals, and they just talk to you for about 15 minutes. It's nothing more than a TED Talk with a Bible verse mixed in. And you know what they do? They leave making sure you feel good. They just, you know, they scratch you behind your ears. We took a trip down to New Jersey this week and we left our dog with, with an area church member. And our dog had a good time. The church member did a great job taking care of her. When we got back, Ginger was so excited to see us that she jumped over the fence to get to our family. All right? So excited. And we got home, and I'm the pack leader as far as she's concerned. And, and I'm sitting on the couch last night, and she comes and snuggles right up to me. You know what I was doing? I was scratching her behind her ears. I must have petted her behind her ears for a good 20, 25 minutes. And, and I stopped. And you know what she did? She took her nose and she put it right under my hand. She wanted more of that itching her ears and scratching her ears because it makes her feel good. And a lot of people today, they got up and they got dressed and they went to church so they could hear... God loves you. If, if, if He had a refrigerator, your picture would be on the front of it. If He had a smartphone, your picture would be His lock screen. Now, hear what I'm about to say. I'm all for preaching the love of God. And God does love you. He numbers your steps. He counts the hairs on your head. He catches your tears in a bottle. He knows your thoughts. And He deeply loves you. But there's more in the Bible than God loves you. Someone's not willing to tell you the whole truth. They're deceiving you. Someone's not willing to preach the whole counsel of God. They're lying to you. We know that Satan is the father of all lies and deception. And we need to have our guards up, ready to know truth, and rightly stand by it, and, and for it, able to spot error, and able to avoid Satan's deceptive traps. So if you have a bulletin this morning, on the back you'll find our outline. Let me encourage you to take some notes as we go this morning. Let's look at three thoughts out of Matthew 24 as we consider this command of Christ to let no man deceive you. Alright? Number one. Number one, let's look at a clarification of the passage. A clarification of the passage. I'm going to do something this morning that not everyone in the room is going to agree with. Alright? You know what I'm a big believer in? Look up here. Look up here. I'm a believer in grace. That means if you don't agree with what I'm about to say, show me some grace. Amen? 
Matthew chapter 24 and 25 have been hotly disputed. And uh, a lot of guys have lots of different opinions on this. Now, if I were to get 100 pastors and put them in a room and ask them to give me an opinion on Matthew 24 and 25, I would probably get 90 to 100 different opinions. All right? Uh, So I'm going to give you mine. Did you hear what I said? It's my opinion. I'm not preaching it as though it's gospel fact. I'm preaching it as though it's... Aren't you glad you have a pastor who's willing to tell you when he has an opinion? Thank you very much. I'll add that to this one over here. I appreciate you looking out for me, young man. I do. Aren't you glad you have a pastor who tells you when he's giving you his opinion? Okay? Now, this is my opinion. If you disagree with my opinion, it's okay. You can be wrong. All right? You guys are, like, delayed response this morning. You can be wrong. Hey, you know what I learned this morning while I'm, while I'm thinking about it? This is hilarious, okay? Uh, you have to understand what happened. I was teaching the, the Spanish life group upstairs, and I learned a new Spanish word today. I learned the word for handcuffs this morning. Do you know what the Spanish word for handcuffs is? Esposas. It's the same word as wife. The word for wife and the word for handcuffs is the same word in the Spanish language. Some of you just got offended. I thought it was hilarious. Isn't that awesome? Okay. So I'm going to give you my opinion on this passage here. And um, I've had a lot of questions over the years on um, these chapters, what they mean. And to be honest, up until just a handful of years ago, I was very confused by these chapters. And so I really did a lot of digging and studying to understand Matthew 24 and 25. And I came across an explanation of these chapters that I wholeheartedly believe is accurate. Have you ever gone to the ophthalmologist and uh, needed a new prescription? And you sit there and you're, you know, they're, they're, they're trying the different you know, strengths, and they're asking you to read the letters. You know, the worst part about the ophthalmologist is when they blow that puff of air in your eyes. about knocks you off the chair, right? So, oh, I hate that. Uh, but uh, there you're sitting, and, and they finally get it dialed in right. And Shazam! You can see! Anybody here watch Andy Griffith? You know Shazam, all right? Um, you can see! And, and, and as I was studying... Matthew 24 and 25, I was reading a lot of explanations on these chapters, and they just weren't making sense. And then I came across an explanation, I thought, shazam, that's it. I I believe that's it, and I'm going to share that with you here. Look at verse number 3 with me, okay? Um, As he sat upon the Mount of Olives, Jesus that is, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall the sign of thy coming, what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? So what are they asking him? They're asking him, what signs do we look for? And, and when are you coming? And when is the end of the world? Now that's a very large scope of time. Uh, these things and, and the coming of Jesus all the way, second coming of Jesus all the way to the end of the world. And I believe that these chapters are not a timeline. I believe these chapters answer those questions as it pertains to three distinct people groups. And so um, uh, here are the three people groups. If you go back to when uh, Adam and Eve were born and you work from there all the way up to Abraham being commissioned, you have about 2,000 years 
of human history where God worked through the nations. Say that with me. The nations. Again, the nations. And so the first 2,000 years of time, God worked through the nations. And then from Abraham, and again, 2,000 years is an approximation. From Abraham to uh, the birth of Jesus, the Lord worked with the Israelites. Say that with me. The Israelites. So you have the first 2,000 years, say it with me, the nations. And then you have the next 2,000 years, the Israelites. And then from the resurrection of Christ to current day, about 2,000 years, we have the church. Say it with me. The church. So you have the first 2,000 years, that is, the nations. The second set of 2,000 years, the Israelites. And then the third set would be the church. And I believe that God is answering these questions as it pertains first to the nations and then to the Israelites and then to the church. So He's going to give end-time events as first as it pertains to the nations. And then He's going to give end-time events as it pertains to the Jews. And then He's going to give them as it pertains to the church. And um, in Matthew chapter 24 in my Bible, and this part is not really arguable. I think this what I'm about to say right here is everyone agrees on. Chapter 24 I have in my Bible written next to chapter 24, I have the word conditions written. And so if you're marking your Bible, let me encourage you to write the word conditions. This chapter 24 lays out for us the conditions of end time events, conditions of end time events. I'm going to ask our youth to stay in the room throughout the duration of the service, if possible, please, uh, as much as you can. If you have an emergency, we'll understand, but try to hold your place. Chapter 24, conditions. Chapter 25, I have written down the word consequences. Consequences. Now, chapter 25 lays out the consequences as it pertains to these three people groups. 24 uh, lays out the conditions. Okay, now, below verse number 14, I have this written in my Bible. Or uh, at the end of verse 14, I have written down 4 through 14, the nations. 4 through 14, the nations. Now, hang with me here. I know some of you that aren't Bible scholars maybe aren't real interested in what I'm saying. But it's important I lay this groundwork for points 2 and 3 in the message. So please hang in here with me. 4 through 14, uh, Jesus is giving end-time events as it pertains to the nations and what conditions will be in place. Let me show you some proof of this. Look at verse number 7, Matthew 24, verse 7. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places. Look down at verse 14. 14, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. So, 4 through 14, Jesus is laying out for us uh, conditions for the nations. All right, now below verse number 35, I have written in chapter 24, I have written 15-35, the Jews. 15-35, Israel or the Jews. Now from verse 15 down through verse 35, he is going to be addressing end time conditions as it pertains to the Israelites. Now, back in verse number 3, alright, look at verse 3 with me. Do you have your, we're doing a Bible study right now, so do it with me. Look at verse number 3. Who came to ask Jesus these questions? Who was it? His disciples. This would have most likely been his 12 inner core disciples. They were known as the disciples. Now, all 12 of these men were Jewish. Notice in verse 15, the pronoun he uses. And by the way, there's a change in pronoun usage when you get to 15. Look here. 
It says, when ye... Now that word ye is plural, meaning all of you. He's speaking directly to His disciples. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Now, Jesus was not saying, when the twelve of you see this happen, He's saying, when your people group sees this happen. What is the abomination of desolation? And again, this is a crash course in in end-time events. Daniel chapter 9, uh, verse 27, tells us about the abomination of desolation. Of desolation. It tells us that this happens at the three and a half year mark of the tribulation. Now, what was the abomination of desolation? Or what will it be, rather? It will be when the Antichrist, in the middle of the tribulation, walks into Solomon's uh, uh, temple. This will be the third rendition of the temple. He will have brokered a peace deal between Israel and Islam in order to rebuild the temple. And he will go into this temple, having been the Jew's friend, and he will sit on David's throne, and he will declare himself to be God. And when he does this, the Jews will realize that's not a good man. It will uh, make that will be an abominable act to the Jews, and they will desolate the temple. They will uh, 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 desert the temple. So you have the abominable act that desolates the temple, or the abomination of desolation, and the Jews will go into hiding for three and a half years as Satan and the beast uh, persecute. The Jews, and if you read from 15 down through 35, with that as the preset, you'll understand that those events are taking place for the Jews. Those will be the conditions of end times for the Jews. Now, at the very end of the chapter, uh, I have written down 36 through the last verse of the chapter, and I have written the church. So verse 36 to the end of the chapter are end time events as they pertain to the church. And we'll get into that here in just a few minutes. This is why I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. Again, I know there's those in the room who disagree with that, but I believe that the rapture is the next event on the eschatological timeline and that uh, Jesus is coming back. And I believe that for the church, those are the conditions that we need to be preparing for. Now, I'm, with no comment or little to no comment, let me help you break down chapter 25, and then you can go look at that later. Verses 1 through 13, 1 through 13, below verse 13, write 1 through 13, write uh, Israel. And those are consequences as it pertains to the rapture. So the you have the ten virgins, five are taken, five are left behind. I believe that to be a passage about the rapture as it pertains to the Jews. And uh, the, the oil in the lamp is the Holy Spirit. They have the lamp of truth that was given to them through Moses and the law. Uh, many of them do not have the oil in the lamp because they're not saved. And so five will be taken. Five will be left behind when the bridegroom comes. So verse 1 through 13 are written to the Jews. 14 through 30 appear to me to be written to the church. This is the parable about the man who goes on a long journey, gives talents to three different types of people, uh, five, two, and one. And when he comes back, five and two had doubled. One had buried it in the ground and did nothing with it. I believe that this is about the judgment seat. And then 31 through 46 are written to the nations. And I believe that to be about uh, the end of the tribulation, the valley of Jehoshaphat we find in the Minor Prophets, where the Lord Jesus will judge the nations on how they treated the Jews during the back half of the tribulation. 
Again, I've just dropped a lot of information. You can go look at that later on your own. But I wanted us to have at least a, a very basic understanding of these two chapters. So number one, a clarification of the passage. All right, everybody. Clear as mud? All right. How many of you kept up with what I just said? How many need to go back and, and study a little bit more? All right, that's okay. All right. Uh, number two, let's get into the practical part of the sermon. Number two. The conditions of the last days. The conditions of the last days. Look at me at Matthew 24 and verse number 4. The Bible says, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. Take heed. That means have your guard up. That means pay attention. We have to have our guard up against bad actors. We know that the volume, based on verse 5, the volume of bad actors will increase as we, as the end draws near. How will we know that we are in the last days? Letter A, notice, people will be deviant in their behavior. Deviant in their behavior. Look with me at verse 36. Again, I believe 36 down through the end of the chapter to be addressing the church. Look at what the Bible says in verse 36. But of that day and hour knoweth no man. And by the way, this is why I believe in a pre, one of the reasons why I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. If you believe Jesus is coming at the middle of the tribulation, then you can know the day or the hour because you can count down three and a half years. Jesus said, we do not know the day or the hour. That means his return is imminent. It can happen at any moment. No, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Not even Jesus knows when the rapture is going to happen. Only the Father knows. Look at verse 37. But as the days of Noe, or Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were, look here, I have this underlined in my Bible, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the days, day that Noe entered into the ark, and, and, and knew not until the flood came, and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So, just like in Noah's day, people were consumed with lavish meals. How much money does America spend on eating out? Oh, Americans today, how many of you are old enough to remember when eating out was something you did a couple of times a year? All right. We eat out a couple of times a week now, don't we? If not more. Uh, The attention is on lavish meals, banquet type food. I can remember being a boy. I look forward to our church having banquets because I didn't get Longhorn all the time. And I didn't get Texas Roadhouse all the time. And I didn't get Olive Garden all the time. In fact, the first time I ever ate at a restaurant on that level was at Chili's. I was 17 years old. i, I got to back that up. The first time my parents paid for me to eat at a restaurant like that. Uh, other people had taken me. But, you know, and, and that's no slam on my parents. My dad, very frugal and careful with money because he had a meager income. And honestly, he just couldn't afford uh, how many of you heard up, grow, grew up hearing the words, we can't afford that? You know, those are words that don't come out of many parents' mouths today. You know, when we can't afford it, we just swipe Visa and, and afford it. When my kid wants this, i got to buy it for him because he wants it. How about you say to your child, no. 
We can't afford it. And you say, well, how does that play into what, I'm, what you're preaching? It has everything to do with what I'm preaching. My generation grew up to be a generation of spoiled, rotten brats. And the generation that my generation is raising is even worse. We're so in love with fancy dinners and expensive drinks and, 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 and marriage banquets and, and giving in marriage. And by the way, I'm not preaching against getting married this morning. I just said that the sex act belongs in marriage. And so clearly I'm for marriage, but um, well, I'm not going to say that. That would make me unpopular with... No. Self-censor here. <laughs> it's not biblical, so I'm not going to say it, all right? It's my opinion. Um, and, and it's not an opinion that would, that would benefit the sermon. Listen, uh, I'm not for getting married. I'm not for... I'm, not against, I'm for getting married. I'm not against big marriages. I'm not against big wedding celebrations. But I am against this uh, uh, celebrating uh, a banquet attitude all the time. Do you know where most people are in Connecticut? Uh, uh, most suburbia Connecticut is on Sunday mornings. They're at a brunch drinking themselves drunk. They go to brunch instead of going to church. And, and they have one too many. And, and, and they're enjoying lavish foods. And, and they're enjoying a beer at 10, 11 o'clock in the morning because they're more concerned with pleasure than they are with holiness. And because of this, we end up deviant in our behavior. Now, Genesis chapter 6, and for sake of time, we're not going to look at the chapter, but the last two words of verse number 2 of Genesis chapter 6 is, they chose. And you know what it's talking about? It's talking about marriage. It's talking about getting married and not including God in the process. The sons of God uh, intermingled and procreated with the daughters of men. And I'm not going to pretend to have all of that figured out and know what all of that means. Lots of opinions on that too. But can I say this? They were after making uh, uh, designer babies. And they had children that grew up to be giants and extremely intelligent. And we live in a day where we're after the same thing. Take your Bible over to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. Paul would expound on uh, what to expect uh, uh, in the end times when he wrote to Timothy. 2 Timothy 3. Look with me at verse number 1. This is what we can expect in the last days. You say, Pastor Lejeune, are we living in the last days? I believe we are. And I believe 2 Timothy 3, 1-5 proves that we're living in the last days. Because this, these verses describe our culture every bit of it. Look at verse 1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Now, we're not speaking of uh, perilous times in the sense of uh, war in this chapter. We're speaking of perilous times as it pertains to human morality. Look at verse 2. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Lovers of their own selves. Now, I told you, I'm not one to dodge the truth, I declare the truth. Just because you feel like doing it doesn't make it okay for you to do. I'm married to that woman right there. Been married to her for 16 years. What if I were to say to her, you know what? I was born to be an adulterer. So it's okay for me to go around and sleep with any woman I want. You think she's going to be okay with that? But I was born that way. I can't help it. 
Hey, how about this? We quit worshiping human desire and start worshiping the God of the Bible. Lovers of their own selves. Well, if it feels good, do it. How many of you have ever heard the phrase YOLO? You only live once. Ah, live it up. Live it up. You only live once. Eat dessert first. Covetous. Meaning wanting things, that's just materialism. Wanting things that you shouldn't have. Boasters. You know what it means to boast? It means you brag on yourself all the time. Proud. Pride's always been a problem, but boy, people wear pride around their neck like a gold chain these days. Blasphemers. How many times do you hear God's name taken in vain in a week? Some of you in here are guilty of that. When you take God's name in vain, you are blaspheming. Disobedient to parents. You ever sat in a park and watched kids on a playground? It's time to go. No! I can't go to parks where people's kids are because I'll end up spanking somebody's child. No, I wouldn't do it, but I want to, all right? Look at this next one. Unthankful. You know what entitlement is? It comes from a heart of ingratitude, being unthankful. You're not willing to say thank you over things that are mundane and regular. We've trained our kids that every time mom cooks a meal, they say thank you. Thank you, mom, for cooking this delicious meal. Every time we take them out to eat, thank you, dad, for opening up the wallet and paying for this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. When we become entitled, it's a result of being unthankful. Look at this next one. Unholy. I am so sick of whiny babies who grew up in church saying, my church is legalistic because they preach against things I like to do. You just need to get your life in line with the Bible. And you're not a victim because your pastor made you wear culottes when you were in youth group. Oh, I'm meddling now. Unholy. You know what that means? We want to look more like the world than we do like Jesus. Verse number three, without natural affection. I don't know a better term to describe the LGBT community than without natural affection. You know what natural affection is? It's a man and woman inside of marriage for life. That's natural. Anything other than that? By the way, pornography is unnatural. We love to pick on the LGBT world as Baptist pastors and as Christians. But what are you looking at on your screen? God gave you a sex drive to be aimed at your spouse. Not to be indulged in on some porn site. That's unnatural. And it's wrong. Truce breakers. You know what that means? That means uh, handshake deals aren't good enough anymore. We need contracts that are thicker than the Bible to make sure someone keeps their word. False accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. Good is called evil and evil is called good. Traitors, heady. That means we're, we're head smart. High-minded, we look down on others. We act like we're better than them. 
Oh, this one describes our culture. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Well, why aren't you going to be in church next Sunday? Oh, I gotta, I'm going to be out on my boat. Oh, I've got I've to you know, take it easy with my family for a week. I need my family time. Maybe you are going to miss out on that wisdom you need to handle you through life's problems because you just weren't in church where you are supposed to be. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. We complain when the pastor preaches more than 45 minutes, but we'll watch a sports game that's three hours long. We'll watch a movie that's two hours long. Because we love pleasure more than we love God. Pastor pushes us to put a little bit more money in the offering plate for a building project or actually start tithing. Well, I can't afford that. Yeah, but how much do you spend at Starbucks and Dunkin' Donuts every week? How much does it cost for you to go to that baseball game or that football game? How much is that new purse you just bought at, at the Gucci store or, or, or at Louis Vuitton? How much is that car note that you just bought? How much are you paying in property taxes because you're living in a house four times larger than you need? We love our pleasure. We love our comfort. But when the pastor pushes us to give to missions or to give to the work of the Lord or to help with the building project, ah, pastor's always after my money. Yeah, so is Walmart. And so is Target. And so is Mercedes-Benz. And so is Lexus. And so is your real estate agent. But I don't hear you getting upset with them. Look at verse 5. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. If the 1 through 4 didn't get you, verse 5 I think gets most of us. We act like we're godly, but we're not. We go home and we fill our eyes and ears with filth and then come to church, dress nice, with the Bible in our lap, we got the form down, but what's really in your heart? We're talking about conditions of the last days. Does this, do these verses not describe our culture? How do I know Jesus is coming soon? Because every one of these have been, could not be more true. We live in a day of great sinful deviance. People do what they want, and they have no moral authority by which they submit or surrender. The Bible has even been labeled as hate speech in certain courts across this country. What will be the conditions of the last day? People will be deviant in their behavior. Letter B, people will be uh, uh, deceptive in their doctrine. Deceptive in their doctrine. Go back with me to Matthew chapter 24. Look with me at verse number 4. By the way, when you buy a Mercedes-Benz or you buy... And I'm not against it. If you can afford it, by all means. I mean that. I wholeheartedly mean that. Listen, just take me for a ride at some point because I, I, I want to enjoy your car with you. Amen? Maybe let me take it for a spin. I, I'm not being sarcastic on that. I'm, if you're able to afford a nice car or nice clothes, a nice handbag, I rejoice with you that God has so sincerely prospered you. I'm for that. I'm for that. But don't neglect the work of the Lord. When you buy those things, those things are one day going to burn up in a fire. You know how many Gucci bags I've seen at places like Goodwill? Well, actually not that many, but you know how many coach bags, <laughs> coach bags I've seen in a Goodwill? 
You get what I'm saying? These things end up in a trash heap somewhere. But when you make an eternal investment, you get to receive those dividends for all eternity. Look at verse 4. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. Look at verse 5. For many, notice that word many, a high volume shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Now, I don't believe that Wikipedia is the be-all, end-all of knowledge. There's a lot of things on Wikipedia that are inaccurate. Uh, But since, uh, according to Wikipedia, since 1900, there have been 35 people who have accrued some kind of following that have claimed to be the second coming of Christ. Let me give you a few of these names you might recognize. How about Sun Myung Moon? His, uh, he's, I believe he's passed on now, but his church still has 3 million followers. At its peak, it was much larger. He claimed to be deity incarnate. How about Jim Jones? Don't drink the Kool-Aid, amen? Um, we don't serve Kool-Aid at this church, even at VBS, because we don't, we don't want the stigma. My, uh, my grandmother's pastor, um, when she was alive, I believe the guy's still pastoring, his name is James Jones. I told him, I said, don't, don't call you. Don't, it, James, not Jim, James, okay? Uh, but uh, Jim Jones led a bunch of people, I believe, into Central America somewhere, and they all committed mass suicide. Charles Manson. Yeah. Uh, to my Puerto Rican friends, how many of you recognize the name of Jose Luis de Jesus? You know who that is, Hector? Jose Luis de Jesus uh, had a cult going, claimed to be Christ. Um, he used it uh, to have an advantage and sexually abuse uh, uh, girls and women. Uh, very, I believe he even ended up in jail. Wicked man, but had, had a massive, I mean massive following in the Spanish world. Here's another name, Alan John Miller. Um, if you look at Wikipedia and you look at how many people claim to be Christ, in the 18th century, it was just a few. And then you look at the 19th century, the 1800s, it was just a handful more. But when you get to the year 1900, the list of those claiming to be Christ exponentially begins to grow. And then when you get to 1950, it really begins to take off. And if we continue at the pace we're at in the 21st century, boy, we're going to make the 1900s look dwarfed and little in the amount of people that claimed. And again, in verse 5, Jesus said, Many shall come in my name in these days, saying, I am Christ. Turn over to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Now, I don't know who in here would be gullible enough to um, follow someone who claims to be Jesus Christ. But um, many end up falling for a doctrine that leads you astray or could lead you astray from the two true teachings of Jesus Christ. By the way, the Pope, the Pope claims ex cathedra. That's about as close as you can claim to get to claiming to be Jesus Christ without claiming to be Jesus Christ. He pretty much says his own words are on par with the words of Jesus. I'm sorry. No man has that power. That is, that is extra-biblical, and it is wrong. Many, many, many how, many, how many billions of people have been led astray by that false teaching? Look at Acts chapter 20, look at verse 28. 
It says, take heed. Paul here is speaking to a group of pastors at a pastor's retreat right outside of Ephesus. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves, Paul says to these pastors, and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the flock of God. That's your duty. Feed the flock of God, which He, Jesus, God, hath purchased with His own blood. It's not your church, pastors. It belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. He authored it and He paid for it. You are just to feed the flock. Look at 29. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. That means, watch this. The Bible is telling us here that wolves will come from outside of the church into the church and will use false doctrine to devour the flock. Now, verse 30 uh, continues. It says, Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. So not only will this attack come from without, this attack will come from within. There will be churches where they bring in a pastor and he's there for years and all of a sudden he diverts and changes and instead of building the kingdom of God, he seeks to build his own kingdom. And let me just say this right here. You should not follow me unless I am following the Lord Jesus Christ. I am not here to build the kingdom of Richard Lejeune. I am here to build the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Jesus warned that in the last days there would be preachers who would seek to deceive and divide and lead away. Turn over to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians 1 and verse 6. I marvel, Paul writes to the churches of Galatia, I marvel that ye are soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. Curtis Hudson years ago had a sermon he preached entitled, Things that are different are not the same. Is that an obvious statement? Things that are different are not... You don't get saved by grace and then find another gospel to believe. By the way, when it comes to your Bible, things that are different are not the same. That's why we only use the King... I'm just hitting it all this morning. That's why we only use the King James Version here because other versions that are worded different ways are not the same. There's only one true Word of God and, and we need to stick to it. And if you want to know how we arrive at that being the King James, see me after the service... I'd be happy to help you with that. But um, look at verse 7. Which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we are an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you that, uh, than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Notice there it says, if any other or an angel from heaven. Now, uh, I believe that the Church of Mormon or the uh, Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, their founder Joseph Smith said that an angel gave them another gospel. 
Well, Galatians 1 says to throw that out. How about Islam? Muhammad claimed to be sitting in a cave and was given a gospel or given a, a, a good news by an angel there that was turned into the Quran. And so Galatians 1 says, throw these out. They don't belong. This is the gospel perverted. Look at 9, as we said. So say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you, then that ye have received, let him be accursed. I, I, I just... Look, how do you know something's true? Because it's hard under attack. Hard under attack. you got all these doctrines or teachings in the Bible. You have the doctrine of sin and the doctrine of man and the doctrine of angels and demons and the doctrine of the Word of God. you got all these doctrines, but do you know which doctrine of the Bible has been perverted and changed and distorted and, and, and attacked the most? The doctrine of salvation. Every element of the doctrine of salvation has been attacked and Satan wants to lead you away. These preachers, uh, they are smooth as silk, but they're leading people right into hell. Lastly, number three, notice some considerations of antichrists. Turn over to First um, John chapter 4, and you can leave Matthew 24. We're done there. Turn over to First John chapter 4, and uh, we're going to uh, finish out the, the, the sermon here. And I'm aware of the time. We'll move quickly here. Letter A, notice their message. Their message. Antichrists, plural. Now we know the Antichrist will one day come and, and he'll sell his uh, number of 666 and have that uh, stamped on the right hand or the forehead of all those at the three and a half year mark of the tribulation and, and uh, he'll be, he'll be the, the, he'll claim to be Christ but he'll be the uh, antagonist to Jesus and, and will lead and deceive the nations. Uh, but listen, while there is the Antichrist, uh, John makes it clear here in his epistle that there are many, little a, antichrists. Notice letter A, notice their message. Look at 1 John 4 and look at verse number 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Now notice there it says every spirit, that's a lowercase s. That's speaking of the spirit of a man. So, believe not every man, or believe not every man's spirit, but try the spirits, try what men say, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone into the world. Again, notice the high volume of false preachers. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Look at here. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, where have we have, ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Look at verse 5. Look at their message. Verse 5. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now, there are plenty of people that give lip service to the fact that Jesus is God. When they give lip service to it, that's not really where their focus is in their preaching. I'm not one to name call. In fact, I, I try not to do that. But this is an instance where I think it, I, I'm just going to, I'm going to call it the way I see it. A um, handful of years ago, Andy Stanley was interviewed 
around Easter time. And he was asked, do you believe in the virgin birth of Jesus? And his response was, it doesn't matter. That's the spirit of Antichrist. And you know what? Andy Stanley comes from good stock. His dad was a great preacher. His dad responsible for seeing lots of people saved. I don't stand by everything Charles Stanley ever did. I know he has a past and had some struggles, but God greatly used Charles Stanley. And Andy Stanley, man, he's, 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 uh, he's well-dressed, he's well-spoken, he's well-polished. But if you don't think the virgin birth of Christ matters, that's wrong. You understand, if Jesus wasn't born of a virgin, then Jesus was not God. You know what? These people, please keep your phones on vibrate for me, I appreciate that. These people, their message is not to believers, their message is to the world. Um, why is it that people preach a false gospel? Because they themselves cannot preach a gospel they do not personally and intimately know. Then why do they preach? Write these two things down. Why do they preach? Number one, they're doing the devil's work by leading people into, into error. They're doing the devil's work by leading people into error. Um, you know what Satan's greatest tool is to lead people into hell? Listen up, it's religion. Religion is Satan's number one tool he uses to lead people into hell. Watch this. You have religions that are full of lies and error over here. And then you have religions that are really close to being true, but are just a smidgen off when it comes to salvation. And you know what? These are more dangerous than, like the satanic temple. And then you got churches that right up to preaching the gospel, but they, work, they, they, they build works into salvation. And he has a whole array. Why are there, how many times have you ever tried to witness to someone or invite them to church and they say, well, how do you know that your denomination is the right one? Well, how do you know that your interpretation of the Bible is the right one? Satan is using religion to lead people in hell. And somebody has to lead these churches. They're, lead, they're being used by the devil to lead people in the air. Number two, there is power and money to be had in church leadership. There is power and money to be had in church leadership. I thank God for this church, and I thank God for the pay package they offered us when we came. Um, someone, uh, a family here very kindly purchased the home next door to the church and paid to have it fixed up because they uh, wanted the church to own that and the church to be better off for it. And, and the offer was made by the church for us to live in that home. And we live in a very nice home and we drive a comfortable car and uh, we have some nice things. But you know what? I am no way, me and my family are in no way entitled to those things. I wake up every morning and I look out my window and I say to God, Lord, I don't deserve any of this. Those of you that know me well, including my own wife, knows I'd be content living in an apartment. I'd be content driving a simple car. I don't need nice things. I thank God for them. I don't know that my family always feels that way. Amen? But I, I, I'm, I'm a basic person. There's a lot of people out there that see that church leadership gives them a chance to grab power and grab money. Now, here's a statement for you. Shepherds 
should smell like their sheep. Shepherds should... You know what that means? That means that shepherds get down in and they dwell among their sheep. And they touch them. And they're there for them. And they love them when they're going through a hard time. And they care for them. A hireling lords over the sheep and bosses them around and treats them as though they're just there. Give me your money so that I can have, I can have, I can have. I can have that private jet. I can have that big fancy car. I can have that power. No, no, no. Shepherds get down in. They eat at the table of the people's homes. They have them over into their own house. They're there to visit them in the hospital. When they're sick, they're there to rejoice with them when a baby's born. They're there to preach their funeral and shed a tear because they love them. They're there to help them through marriage problems. Because they smell like they're sheep. They're down living among them. Can I ask you if you have a favorite YouTube preacher? Has he ever been by your hospital bedside? Would he show up to help you? Could you even get him to answer a comment on that YouTube post of his video? We take what the pastor says and we shove it over here as less important and we elevate some YouTube preacher and we make a big deal out of them and their message is not even helping us. I'm not against every YouTube preacher. I'm on, we're streaming on YouTube right now. I am a YouTube preacher. There's a whole lot of false prophets on YouTube that want to lead you astray. Letter B, their motive. Their motive. Turn over to 1 John chapter 2. By the way, I could be a better pastor. I'm not perfect. Some of you have had needs and I've not been there as often as I should be. I seek to improve and be better. Look at me, church. I want to be the best pastor to you I know how to be. I want to love each of you with all of my heart. God called me here to love you. Whether you're in the last quarter of your life or you're just getting going, you have a need. I want to be there for you. Look at verse 15. What is the motive of an antichrist? Look here, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Now notice how these two thoughts here, beginning in verse 8, are tied together. Little children, it is the last time, and as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrist, whereby we know that it is the last time they went out from us because they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out uh, that they might be made manifest that they were not all 
of us. But we have an unction or an anointing from the Holy One. And ye know all things. I have not written unto you because ye know the truth, but because ye know it not. And that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar? Speaking of deception. But he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ, he is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. So, what is the motive of someone who is a, a bad actor? Someone who is a wolf among the sheep? Well, again, uh, they want to lead people in the air or they're after power and money. What should they be after? Turn over to 1 John 4 and verse 7. And we finish up the sermon here. 1 John 4 and verse 7. The Bible says, Beloved, let us love one another. So, instead of loving the world, we're to love one another. For love is of God and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God. Finish the verse with me, church. For God is love. So, an antichrist loves himself or herself and loves the world. Boy, uh, someone who is uh, on your team and for you, they love you and they love God. Let me finish the sermon by giving you... Uh, Three concluding thoughts with very little comment. Number one, write these down. Only follow spiritual leaders as they follow Christ. Only follow spiritual leaders as they follow Christ. Only follow spiritual leaders as they follow Christ. 1 Corinthians, Paul said in chapter 11, verse 1, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Brother Mike, let me have your help here. For just a moment, if I can. Okay, Brother Mike, here's going to represent uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you could stand there for me, all right? And let me see. Uh, Brother Manny, hop up here with me real quick. Brother Manny is going to represent the church, all right? So this represents all of us in the church. Back here, okay, back here. Now, you're going to follow me as I follow Brother Mike, all right? Ultimately, you're following him. You're not following me, all right? And so let's go for a walk here. Just walk. Wherever you want to walk, you're following behind. You're following behind. Okay, take a right. Take a right, Brother Mike. Okay. Keep going, keep going, all right. Here, Pastor Lejeune is wandering off into apostasy, but there you are following Christ. Here, Pastor Lejeune is wandering off into sin, there you are following Christ. Keep making the rounds, keep making the rounds. As long as Pastor Lejeune is in line with Christ, you should be following Pastor Lejeune. The moment Pastor Lejeune gets out of line with Christ, you keep going to church, you keep loving God, you keep doing what's right, you keep your family in order, because you don't have your eyes on a man, you have your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Thank you, man. Now, with all my heart, I believe I am following the Lord Jesus Christ, and with all my heart, I want to keep following the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as long as I'm following Christ, you stay lockstep in behind your leader. Number two, don't be blown around by winds of false doctrine. Don't be blown around by winds of false doctrine. Ephesians 4.14, you can look, look that one up later. I'll read it for you. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men, that's deception, and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. There are so many preachers out there that have a new take. And let me just say, say this to you. Truth is settled in place. It doesn't need to be uh, rediscovered. It doesn't need to be reinvented. It just needs to be followed. And you don't need to constantly be looking for some new preacher that has some new angle on the same old truth. You say, oh, well, 
I've heard that before. Well, good. That probably means that it's a settled truth and you just need to get in behind it. And I see some people, man, they're into this religion for this amount of time and then uh, a year later they're into this preacher and then a year later they're into this preacher and then a year later. And, and you know what? They just move from church to church and denomination to denomination. No, you walk with Christ, you settle on truth, and you stay there for the rest of your life. Number three, remember. Remember you grow by both soaking in God's Word and serving others. You grow by soaking in God's Word and serving others. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Uh, let me have your attention up here. And I'm done. This is the last thing I'm going to say. Many of you, if you're not careful, you become Dead Sea Christians. The Sea of Galilee gives into the Dead Sea, but the Dead Sea does not give out anywhere. And you soak in, soak in, soak in, soak in God's Word in your Bible reading and prayer. And you soak in, soak in, soak in, soak in God's Word at church. But you sit and you do nothing with it. And you know what you need to do? You need to start giving to others. If you're new to church, you grow by sitting and absorbing. But you one day need to move from milk to meat. You one day need to move from sitting to serving. And you need to get involved. And you need to start giving back to others who deeply love you and care for you. And you turn around and start developing others. And you know what? That's going to help you put your feet down on truth and stay in truth. Some of you here today, the challenge to you would be this simple. Quit sitting around and start serving. And you'll watch what God does mightily with you. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Let no man deceive you. I preach to the the flock of God here this morning. And I just want to encourage you this morning to identify those areas where Satan has duped you and is leading you astray. How many of you here this morning would say this, Pastor Lejeune, there was a day and time in my life I put my faith in Jesus Christ alone to be my Savior. I know that I'm saved, not because of who I am or what I've done, but because I have put my faith alone in Jesus to save me. If that's your testimony, would you just slip up your hand? I know that I put my faith and trust in Christ alone to save me. If you did do that, would you raise your hand for me? Please don't be ashamed. Don't deny it. All right? You can put your hands down. Is there one here today? Again, everybody's eyes are closed. Please, I ask. Uh, be respectful of the, of the privacy of the moment. Please, everybody, close your eyes. If you're here today and you've not put your faith and trust in Christ alone, Jesus died to save your soul from sin. He died, He rose again from the dead, and He is your only way to heaven. He, he declared Himself as such in John chapter 14 when He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, or no man gets into heaven but by Me. And if you're here today and you don't know where you'd spend eternity... I sure would like to pray with you. I have no intention of embarrassing you, but I sure would like to pray for you. If you're here today and you do not know where you would spend eternity when you die, would you just raise your hand so I could pray for you? Is there one? Is there one in the room today? I don't see any hands. I hope that means everybody here today is a believer. How many of you here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, the Lord used the message in some way to show me an area that I need to get corrected in my life. If, if the Spirit of God is working in your heart at this moment saying you need to deal with this, would you just raise your hand and say, Pastor Lejeune, would you pray for me? God has revealed some things in my life I need to work on. Here's my hand. Would you please pray for me? 
Lord God, I pray that you'd help us this morning during our time of invitation, that you would lead us and guide us and help us to find truth. Lord God, that we would walk in truth, that we would make Jesus Christ the cornerstone on which our lives are built. Lord God, stir our hearts this morning and help us to make decisions that matter. In Jesus' name.